Welcome to the Ben and Tony podcast. Today, we have Niran Vinod, the co-founder and creative director of Deft, a digital consultancy that helps brands scale through media, creative, and technology. Previously, Niran worked for five years at Instagram and Facebook, where he led fashion, luxury, and e-commerce. Now, Niran's life exemplifies modern digital media, advertising, and marketing. Since he was a teenager, Niran seemed destined to create and design. I still can't believe that he inadvertently created two huge online publications, Soccer Eye and Yin and Yang, by literally just following his passions. Niran's understanding of the digital world goes even deeper. He first met his wife through Twitter, and almost every single job opportunity can be traced back to his digital social media profile. Building out a public brand on the internet takes a lot of guts, and Niran has reaped the benefits of doing this. As a result, he has managed to balance his true passions with the financial pragmatism of a successful career. That's something we should all aspire to, especially for people in the audience who want to pursue a career in creative industries. I know that if I want to get ahead of the curve in culture and media and technology, I'll follow Niran. Hey guys, Ben here. Niran clearly just loves building, creating, making. He started really young, creating football wallpapers, and before he was even in university, he was serving over 500,000 people per month through that website. It's no wonder that he went on to lead creative for Instagram's fashion luxury space and has most recently founded Deft, a consultancy that helps folks to launch and grow their digital businesses. I've just ordered his book, How to Build It, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. Welcome to Niran Vinod. He describes himself as a brown guy, a Londoner, a creative strategist, a gamer, a vigilante, but most of all, Niran says that he just likes to make stuff. He's a really interesting guy and he's had a very interesting career. He used to be the creative lead at AKQA on Nike. He was a creative product strategist on Facebook. at Facebook. Most recently, he was actually the Instagram creative lead for fashion, luxury, and retail brands. And now he has left Facebook and has gone through quite a few transitions and has launched uh, with a few other ex-Facebook people, Deft, which is a consultancy, and has also recently launched a book. So Niran, really excited to talk to you today and love podcast. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the intro. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. It's funny hearing those words being said by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what's, what's, uh, where should we even begin? I know you've had a lot of transition periods in your life, but Maybe, how did you even get into this industry in the first place? Like, was there a moment when you were younger that inspired you? Uh, what, what was, what's the story about how you got into the whole sort of tech, media, marketing, advertising world? Accidents, I guess. Um, if I take it back 20 years, I mean, even, I had no idea this industry existed. I mean, tech didn't really exist 20 yeah. years ago, but advertising for me wasn't a thing. Like, my parents still don't have a clue how to explain what I do. Yeah. Um, now that I've left Facebook, they're like, what do we tell my friends that my son yeah. does? Because Facebook was such a well-known global brand. Yeah. Can't say deft. Yeah. Um, I actually, growing up, typical Indian kid, maths, English, science, chemistry, you're going to be a doctor. That's the only career choice you have. Doctor, dentist, lawyer, engineer, anything that has that social secure job, yeah. that's what you're going to do. Um, so academia was pushed on me. 
I, I fell in love. I mean, I think growing up in London, you're obsessed with football as it is. Yeah. So I love football and I love design. So I taught who's, myself. Who's your team? Uh, it's a sensitive topic at the moment. I can guess. Um, from that screenshot I sent you, it's red and white. Oh, Arsenal. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very sensitive time. They've got a good heart, it's a, but anyway. It's, I've got a very toxic relationship there with Arsenal. <laughs> I'm trying to disconnect. It's better for my heart. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I fell in love with design through football forums. So I was on a oh. football forum called SoccerPulse.com, which was one of the biggest in the net. And I guess the main reason that I was on there was just to see transfer rumours and anything about Arsenal. And I discovered they had a design forum. I had to taught myself how design forum avatars and signatures and desktop wallpapers when they were a thing we were uh, we were all like 13 and nerds on the internet 56k dial-up and i started doing youtube tutorials entered a competition which is all around designing a pro evo cover i didn't win but that got me really excited and i was really excited about doing that after school instead of studying um I did really well for my GCSEs and naturally my parents were like, you have to go to the grammar school that you got into. But I wanted to go to the sixth form to study design. I was like, nope, do this. And went, got really bad, shitty A-levels. Then went to university and they were like, you can do whatever you like. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to do game design because playing FIFA is great. Making games must be even better. Reality was it wasn't. And... <laughs> But the freedom of me leaving my parents' house <laughs> meant I could party and be my, like, just let loose. I think within the first week, I came home with, like, Blazing Squad-style eyebrow slits. <laughs> and it, and uh, what was your parents' reaction to that? I actually, I used my yeah. mum's mascara to, like, colour it in so my dad wouldn't <laughs> notice my eyebrow slits. I got my ear pierced and my hair dyed. It was like wow. completely different person in seven days. So you weren't you weren't looking like the lawyer they wanted. <laughs> no, I definitely wasn't looking like someone they take to a, like a community function. Wow. Um, and then I dropped out after a year, and I just I was still designing for this site, and we we set up a site called Soccer.co.uk, called it Soccer because we couldn't get football up, um, and we were just mostly dudes, but at one point we had five hundred thousand hits a month. We had no idea what that meant. We were 16, 17, 18. Like, what does that even mean? We had no idea what content meant, strategy, just design wallpapers. 500,000 a month. Yeah. And we ended up getting bought out in my gap year in between that, dropping out from that uni. This American company called Ole Ole reached out to us. I was like, we're going to buy you out. And they basically put me and my co-founder, who was in the US at the time, on a contract. And we were working for this company and getting paid a crap load now that I think about how much we're getting paid. Like it's way, it was way more than my first paycheck as a full-time employee after how, university. How, how old were you? And were you I, I was 18. Point, and you dropped out of school at that point? Or you... I dropped, I dropped out because I just didn't enjoy the course and I was living at home in London, in my parents' place, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, which yeah. is kind of, as an Indian parent, like that's yeah. ultimate failure. Your kid isn't in college. <laughs> And he's just sitting at home. So they couldn't tell anyone that I was doing that. And I spent the year just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, but I was just designing while I can um, and watching anime. Nice. But in that year. Yeah, that's so scrappy. So how how did you kind of grow that without knowing anything about what you were doing? How did you get to 500K by accident? 
So we had no social media either. Like there was no, we had MySpace. That was the only <laughs> platform. Yeah. And there's High Five, but no one really used High Five. I remember um, Emerson Messenger actually was a big way. We, a lot of us would join the forum, but then we'd connect on Emerson Messenger and take our friendships further. But we'd actually advertise on other forums. So we'd go onto other bigger football forums like, hey, we're from this. And we just designed these wallpapers that are the best. And we, at the bottom of the wallpaper, which would hide under the Microsoft start bar, you'd have your credits. So soccer.co.uk designed by blah, blah, blah. And we started putting our logo into the work, faded in the background on 10% of Hassayi. So people were searching Google and they were like, what's the soccer site? And I guess that's how they discovered us. Um, which now that I think about it, that was basically what I was sort of doing on Facebook 20 years later, putting logos on things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, that's such a, like, even though maybe in like a traditional parent's eyes, they'd prefer you to be a lawyer, a doctor at that point. For I think, especially now, if you look at young people and what tech has enabled, that sounds like a dream. Like if I was 18 and I had a website, that's something I'm super passionate about. It's getting half a million hits uh, a month or a day, whatever it was. That, that's like a dream I wish I was able to accomplish in high school and university. That's like so cool. And, and I think for younger audiences, that, 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 that's more impressive than becoming a lawyer or a doctor, something like traditional and old school. Yeah, I, I think that sort of thing is so normal now. Yeah. But back then, we just didn't know what that meant because yeah. there was no one doing that kind of stuff and there's nowhere online you can youtube didn't even really exist we couldn't go yeah. on youtube and see a vlogger did this yeah um youtube was just full of like tutorial content yeah and ads yeah. um so from there i actually went to study again i went to create um central st martins and university of arts london to study advertising i figured i know design yeah. advertising makes sense so let me go and try and learn that that was my only like way of thinking about it. Yeah. I had no other, I didn't talk to anyone at university. I didn't even go to visit university beforehand. Yeah. My parents just wanted me to go back to university because that's the right thing to do. Um, so I went to study there and I didn't, if I'm honest, I didn't really learn much. Everything was so outdated because by that point, social media blew up and what they were teaching was so dated about traditional marketing and advertising. I guess what legacy agencies and stuff had done for decades which interested me but at the same time i was like i don't really care about making a 60 second ad that goes on tv or a print ad that goes on a billboard i want to do something that was all about the internet because that's where i was born and everything i've done has been about the internet um so did that and in my second year of university i started a blog called yin and yang and yin and yang was essentially i was obsessed with high beast and high snobai and street culture and streetwear always been into that stuff i think purely from a hip-hop standpoint kanye west Cuddy, yes man on the moon the three i've been listening to yeah and which is great their swag yeah. their swag has like inspired me from that age so i was always into that kind of hype culture um and i wanted a platform of my own to share what i'm interested in so i made yin and yang weirdly some one of my friends on msn gave me that name I was Yin and one of my best friends of uni was Yang. And we just posted about things we liked. And back then there was no structure. It was fashion, music, art, girls. <laughs> I was like, quite, yeah. now that we think about it, like the last one is probably not a right thing to do, but yeah. it's fine. You grow up. It's also like, it, it's, 
it's like your second startup like mini media brand blog at that point like i, I seem like a trend here like that's that and i don't know like if you're still doing it's not the same thing now but uh it seems like you naturally gravitate towards that kind of stuff just like setting up your own sort of blog media ish publication um but it's it's and it's so like related to what your deep interests are yeah i actually think it probably comes from a place of being an introvert i was always a shy quiet kid and then online you can sort of express anything you like yeah msn and msn chat asl was where i was at (laughs) (laughs) um and i guess blogs were the next natural evolution from msn and then you have your instagrams you know snapchats and tiktoks um actually myspace came first yeah um yeah so i set up yin and yang and we just started posting stuff pretty much anything around london lifestyle fashion music art any sneaker drop and the site started getting traction because we were just two uni students from london doing it and brands would reach out to us people reach out to us people in uni thought we would fly for running our own site and i was like those are the guys from yin and yang and okay cool and we started getting invited to these events and stuff and free drinks we showed up we didn't we felt like we didn't belong there because a <laughs> we're two students from east london who are fairly broke getting invited to these like celebrity parties with unlimited alcohol it's <laughs> <laughs> a dream in uni and yeah and the site evolved from just us two from being like a fairly amateur blog to more of a lifestyle content website all about london we started shooting a lot of our own content and brought in a team we called it the yin and yang family and everyone was was around the same age we're all creatives we all just liked making stuff so on the weekends we'd come up with ideas and shoot them um and was it all like your friends that you're well they're all friends now they weren't friends we were actually interviewing people like without (laughs) we were interviewing people through like email and then we'd meet up with them for a coffee and understand what they're about what skill set they would bring and what they're into and if we thought they had the skill set and also the vibe that they'd fit in with our team, sure. And a lot of people would come and go because they're A, in, student, in university, trying to figure out what's next. Yin and Yang was a platform for them to create some work, also have a portfolio, but also just create network. Yeah. Um, and that's how I ended up in the industry. When I was doing Yin and Yang, I realized I was super passionate about social and creating things with brands. And whenever I at university they'd bring in agencies to give us live briefs none of us ever cared about that unless you were the teacher's pet and there's like two or three dudes who are the teacher's pet they'd always answer it ask like five million questions to put their hands up during the lesson we'd be the ones that bunk off do our own content on the side and try and make our side (laughs) side hustle happen Um, and yeah agencies started spying us and giving inviting us to events and giving us products and I just asked one day, and I think it was in the summer of second year, I was like, did we are social? Hey, look, I've done this post for you for Within War. Do you have a um, intern's position? And they were like, let me get back to you. They got back to me and were like, oh, we don't have anything right now. And two hours later, they emailed again saying, we actually have something for you. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I came in. I at that point, I didn't even know what the industry, like how you dress, none of that. So I came in looking like some gossip girl extra, all preppy. Um, and I was actually going through a phase of really liking gossip girl. So <laughs> hey, and I it, love that phase, man. Brad, I, I was brown bass. It wasn't Chuck Bass, it was brown bass. 
and we got we got talking, and weirdly, Gossip Girl came up in conversation and ended up being an interview about Gossip Girl. And I started the following Monday, and in those two months there, you knew your Gossip Girl. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> in those two two months there, I learned more than I ever have in university. Those three years at university were cancelled about two weeks, two months there. Um, learned so much about the industry. I was a junior account exec, but we are social with thirty five people in Golden Square, not this like global agency is now. It was scrappy. You get to do a bit of everything. I was doing photography. I was doing design. I was doing social stuff and talking to clients. And I loved it. I knew straight after that I wanted to work in the digital agency world. Um, so I went back to uni. It sounds like it's, it was giving you kind of the, the same amount of freedom as, you know, doing it for yourself was. I was also curious when, when you're talking about yin and yang, like, was there a point where you said, okay, right, this is starting to become a little bit of a profession now and not just the thing that I love talking about and writing about. And when did you kind of like firm that up and start treating it like that? Or did you continue to be like just in love with it? Yeah, so the funny thing was like we never did it full time. It was always a side project outside of work. Yeah. And I think even when we graduated and went into work, there was always frustrations. I, I mean, you've worked agency side too. When a client brief doesn't go the way you want it or like you pitch and then you're on keynote version 500 and the idea is nowhere what you pitch. Yin Yang for us was an outlet to do whatever we liked without the pressure of clients. Yeah, we did branded work, but a lot of the time we had the flex and freedom to do whatever we liked. And it was our kind of, I guess, five to nine outside of work. And we always had energy for it. There was a turning point, though. I think later on, I'll get to it, was I knew when my time was up and I think the whole blogging landscape was changing. And that's when I had to step away, which is a hard decision to make, but I knew time things had to change. Was that later later on, or is that so you were working? Yeah, at so, so I went to work at Wearsoch for two months. And I went back to uni and then did a, did my final year. But everything in my final year was about social media because of what I learned at Wearsoch Social. Yeah. I think my thesis in twenty ten was how brands can use influencers as a media outlet, and I was in twenty ten, which is yeah. now it's just like the whole damn industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, was, was influencer even a word at that stage? It just became a word, and I, yeah. I didn't hate it back then when people used it on describing me. But then afterwards in the industry, I was like, "Oh, it's a, I hate this word." Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, but yeah, yeah. What what happened after that? I I got headhunted for an agency called IUHQ, who don't exist anymore. They've evolved since then into a business transformation company, and now a distill ventures company. Um, yeah, I was working in ASOS there. They hit me up through DMs and were like, would you come in for an interview? We've got a place to, we just want ASOS. I think you're fit and what you're into make you a great fit. So got it, did it for two years. Naturally, I think you both probably can relate. You get, your growth starts to plateau after two years. And I was like, I want to do something a bit more creative. I don't just want to be an account exec. So I started I didn't talk, look around, but I met someone on Twitter who worked at AKQA through someone else I met in New York. He just tweeted both of us saying, hey, look, there's a basketball doc I worked on. They're premiering in London at a Nike event. You both should go check it out. Both of us didn't go, but we followed each other. And Ben was like, let's get a coffee about six months later. Went and got a coffee in Clerkenwell. And he said, look, I work at AKQA. We've got the Nike account. I think you'd be a great fit at sportswear. Like, Damn. I didn't think I'd ever work on Nike. And I actually said, I'm not interested right now. And then a week later, I was like, you know what? I'm being stupid. Let's, let me just go for it. 
and I went in for an interview. They offered me social media community manager. I was like, no, that's not, that's not me. Community manager is tough. You have to be always on. You've got a real passion for it. And I wanted to be something a bit more creative. So I ended up meeting the ECDs there at AKQA and showed them a portfolio. And finally enough, my portfolio was yin and yang. And, and at that point in yin and yang, we just launched version three. I had just done this post that went viral, which is breaking. I don't know, Ben, if you know Haygate Estate on Elephant Castle. Uh, no, I don't actually know. So it was this abandoned, like derelict estate. It was built post-war as this utopian, like new f- type of housing estate. But or, like all of those buildings, it became quite rough, drug, um, drug-ridden, and government ended up closing it down. And they used it in a lot of like, I think a Michael Caine film, loads of fil- London kiddohood and stuff used it. We broke into it and we had this whole thing of breaking into abandoned buildings. And, <laughs> That's amazing. And that post went viral because like you're not meant to go into there, like you could get fined or blah blah blah. That's, good word. That's urban um exploration, isn't Urban it? exploration, yeah. They call it urbex. Yeah, there's a real like weird, nerdy community about it. Yeah. So we did that and then I showed them that post and the ECD was going nuts, like, oh, this is so dope. <laughs> and so I got a job there and I, did, I worked at AKQA for two years. And actually in the second year of AKQA, I proposed to my now wife. And at that point I knew yin and yang was, like my passion for yin and yang was dying yeah. and it was time for change. So I, I um, told the team, I was like, I'm leaving. I'm just going to spend next year getting ready for marriage, but also just trying to do other creative projects outside of work outside of yin and yang so i emailed levi's as soon as i left yin and yang i was like hey look i noticed you launched instagram it kind of sucks can i pitch for it as a freelancer and my friend there who i met through a blogging trip that levi's took us on she was like yeah we've actually got brief out to agencies but you're welcome to pitch so i pitched they really like what the strategy and our direction thing i put together for ig but they were looking for an agency to take over facebook Twitter and Instagram community management and I, I can't do community management and I wasn't going to leave my day job while I'm trying to save for a wedding so I said look I can't take this on pretty much two weeks later I saw this job listed at Instagram on, on LinkedIn I was like creating strategist on Instagram what IG has jobs that are non-engineer they have an office in London um sorry I've been chatting for ages I feel like no no <laughs> And I tweeted, again, Twitter has been like central to my life for a long time. I tweeted saying, do I know anyone on Facebook or Instagram? As if I was looking for a contact for a Nike campaign. And my friend Ray, who actually introduced me to Ben at AKQA, tweeted his friend in San Francisco and was like, yo, Bizarre, you should meet me around. He's got a few questions. And we connected on email and I asked three questions. What's the culture like? Am I going to grow? And is there creative freedom? And he answered the first two. His role wasn't necessarily creative at Facebook. Um, and then someone else in London, Tori, who you might know, Anthony, Tori Nicholson. Yes, I do. Yeah. She got connected to me. She called me up that afternoon. Like she spared that much time. She called me up and answered those questions. She introduced me to Alistair Cottrell, who you yeah. also might know, who was the hiring manager. Me and Al then do a VC like two weeks later on Skype. I was in the office at AKQA hiding in a corner whispering. And he's like, why are you whispering? I was like, I'm at work. I'm trying to lay low, can't get a meeting room. 
Um, he, I think he saw a little bit of himself, younger self in me, and he's put me through as a referral and to interview process. So I had eight interviews, then I got the job at IG just before I got married. You actually got a role from breaking into buildings. <laughs> 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 I'm, just, I'm still kind of pondering on that one. It's amazing. But even the IG one, I had eight interviews, and every, every time I would show like the Levi's work that I would pitch the Levi's, and they'd be like, this is what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And, and at that point, also with, with the wedding and stuff, like I know one of the big um, transitions that in your life was becoming a dad. Was that right after this? Was that a few years later? Um, what, what was a few that? years later. It was um, 2018. I got married in 2015. All through. That's why when I, when I left Instagram, I said, I genuinely feel like I grew up at this company. Because yeah. I came in as quite a shy, introverted, 24 year old yeah and i leave at like 32 <laughs> yeah. bought a house got married had a kid in that time um so it's been a wild journey and becoming a dad was interesting like changes everything getting married is one thing and we did we weirdly did it the old-fashioned way where our parents are super conservative so we're living together before marriage isn't going to happen a i'm indian my parents expected me to have an arranged marriage so I, I told them at 15, I was like, I ain't having an arranged marriage. And when I finally did that, and I told them at 24 that I've got a girlfriend of three years who's not Indian, it was like a Bollywood scene. What's <laughs> 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 um, reaction? What, how did they, what did they say? My mom was like, she's, I guess it's a very typical Indian ethnic marriage house where the dad is the breadwinner, the dominant voice in the house. So she was upset. She was scared of what my dad would think. My dad was outraged. He was like, you're breaking our traditions and value and culture. Like, you need to stay within our culture. I was like, dad, look, you brought, you're raising me in the most, one of the most diverse cities in the world. And you expect me to marry an Indian girl from the same caste and the same part of India? Yeah. That ain't going to happen. Um, my wife's Filipino. She's British born. Um, got a beautiful mixed race daughter. And my counter to my dad was that, I'm Indian, but I'm also British, and our kids are going to be British, Indian, and Filipino. That's three cultures. That's more rich than staying in one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so intrigued. I, I always thought think that creativity seems to flourish under restraint, and it seems like you know throughout growing up there was all these kind of traditional restraints that were put on you. Do you think that helped you grow as someone who really wants to have creative expression through the different mediums you've been pursuing? I think so. I think it gave me a lot of freedom and joy I even looking back at playing with lego i was just a quiet kid who played lego and come up with loads of random stuff um and then gaming was actually i put that in my description gaming was always my escape and i still religiously play games when i have time it's a lot harder when you have a kid but i play a lot of role-playing games because of the storytelling methodology and i'm learning just immersing myself in a different world for a bit I love that, man. And what, so did you get to continue that, that kind of creative expression while you were at Instagram during that time as well? Um, yeah, my team was, I was in a team called Creative Shop. We basically help brands with their strategy on platform for anything to do with Instagram and Facebook execution. Um, and it was fun. Like uh, It was Wild Wild West early on because IG advertising didn't exist. So we could pretty much walk in anywhere and say, hey, we're going to help you. And they'd be like, sure, we want to do something on Instagram because it's a shiny new platform. Yeah. 
that was a, that was a really great time because obviously you know I was working there at the same time, um, and it, it's interesting how, and I'm sure it's probably uh, influenced part of the reason why you left Instagram, Facebook, but those years like 2014 to 16, it really was the wild west. Uh, I remember my team too, like when I was there, my team was like 10 people when I got there, and then when I left in 2018, it was like 80. But the, the amount of change and the amount of things that you could do back if you're working at Facebook slash Instagram London in 2014 is, is insane. And it's so different now, for sure. Yeah, I've done some insane stuff that I would have never imagined myself doing, like shooting a TV show with Tan France for <laughs> Facebook. Like, I think, actually, I went to Paris, like southern France to do a talk in a castle. David Ogilvy's castle for Ford. <laughs> wow. um, I think I remember this actually. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you were there, but it was just like super, so random, so many yeah. weird random experiences that you'd just be told to do, but you'd yeah. learn so much from them. Yeah, and meet some really interesting people. Yeah, yeah. I I felt like I was um, similarly way underqualified, but just told to do things, um, and I just said yes because I had to. Um, but, yeah, yeah, like doing doing talks. I yeah, I would never do talks. I I hate client calls, let alone doing a talk in front of two hundred people. Yeah. I remember my first one. I swerved it. I was like, oh, I can't. I'm not ready yet. I don't know the narrative. <laughs> and then three months later, I had to do one at Mindshare, this agency in London. And I partnered up with someone else who's a lot more older, and he was very very good at that stuff. I was sweating like Eminem in Eighth Mile, like <laughs> knees weak, palms. About <laughs> the throw up mom's spaghetti, right? Like, yeah, yeah, besides that part. But I was, I, I, I look back at it, I was like, I was awful. But that's part of the problem. The more you put yourself out there, you learn to tell your story and you get, you pick up new skills and you also meet loads of interesting people through that. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Now, but before we get into like, I guess your next transition about why we left, why you left Facebook, Instagram, what you're doing now, should we talk about um, like what impact has becoming a dad had on your life? Because that happened before you left Instagram, Facebook. Is that right? Was that how old your yeah. your daughter? She's now two and a half. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was in twenty eighteen. I found we found out in twenty seventeen, and the Facebook fifteen thing happened to me, where <laughs> I was really into fitness and taking care of myself and making sure I was in shape and just doing some kind of yes. me time. But then when you join a big company like this, you have to travel so much. Yeah. And I think I went through so much transition in my personal life from not living together, moving in together, losing my sleep routine. I used to get up at 4.30, go to the gym before work. All of that went out the window when you're sharing a house with someone. Yeah. Um, and all the work travel, man, I just ate, ate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those um, club sandwiches in hotels when you land at 11 p.m. It all added up. And when we had when I found out uh, my wife was pregnant with Naraya, I, like, I need to get into shape and not just for a narcissistic sense. It was more, I want to be the best version of myself for my daughter, but also be, if I want her to look after herself and be healthy and into set fitness. I've got to set an example. I can't be the dad that's out of shape being like, yo, you need to work, do burpees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I end up, um, I think it was January 2018. I was like, you know what? I'm going teetotal. I'm going to get this right. going to go teetotal and not drink while my wife can't drink either. And signed up for F45, which opened up down the road from a um, Facebook. 
never done it before died pretty much in the first one but i liked that they learned my name and there was a sense of community there and i just kept going back and within three months i lost 15 kg and got into shape my my goal was to get rid of my man man boobs and dad <laughs> before <Yeah>. dad life <laughs> you succeed? I, I succeeded nice. and I, I won the challenge that they had going on like who can lose the most weight and get into the best oh, wow. shape and in the eight weeks um but it, for me it was more about the me time it was mm-hmm. carving out that space for my well-being in the morning also getting bullied and tortured by the trainers yeah like, there was one trainer in particular she would say Whenever she sees me slacking, she'd be like, your wife is pushing out a baby and you're here crying over a pushing for a birth. <laughs> Every time I just clench this, like, you know what, I'm going for it. <laughs> Such good motivation. So, so Ben and I are not fathers, um, but... And we were I talking mean, about this before. We're like, we have no idea what the hell we would do if we had to have a child right now. <laughs> I think you just adapt. So I, like, I don't think there's a right time to have a kid. Um, I think everyone has this fairy tale notion of like, oh, we're going to have a house, going to have a six-figure salary, going to have this amount of money saved up. You just adapt when you have a kid. Yeah. Like I think about my immigrant parents. Like they didn't have much when they had me, and they made it work. Um, I think the biggest change was you realize it's not about yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, you're married and you have another half, but it's, it's totally different when you have a kid. It's just mm-hmm. some physiological change that happens. And I think for dads, you don't realize till you're in that room and your wife's given birth and they hand you the baby. And that's when I realized I was a dad. Like as much as yeah. I can feel the kicks in my wife's belly, it's not the same for men till you experience. And they gave me the baby and I was like, oh crap, this is my life now. That, that, that sounds like, I, I'm getting chills. No I, idea what I would do if I was handing a baby like that. Uh, yeah, I, I was literally like, uh, I just started rocking, and then I was like, "Mom," to my wife's mom, I was like, "Can you hold her?" <laughs> what, what What was um? Because because when people think about having uh, a child, the impact it has in your life, there are these, you know, the cliches about the way it changes you. But what's something that came to you as a complete surprise about why it was such a big deal for you? I've always wanted to be a dad before I was 30 and I managed to do that. I think nice. the biggest thing was um, my, my, my parents would always say, you won't know till you have a kid of your own. Yeah. And I think within the first two weeks, I must have called my mom, like not crying, but like pretty much like, you were so right. I'm so <laughs> sorry for being a douchebag. Um, so being a dad, I think the harder part is you are rejected by your kid early on because they just want the mom and biologically they know the mom's smell because they're inside for ages and they want the mom's milk. Like if you drop a baby, a newborn on mom's belly or climb to the nipples naturally because that it knows that's where the life source is and where it gets nutrients from. So they have that connection. Whereas with a dad, they don't have that. And we naturally can't calm them down the same way early yeah. on because yeah. they just want to be breastfed. Um, if, if, uh, if the mom is breastfeeding yeah. so I had that rejection feeling early on I was like she doesn't want me I was like this is hard like I'm trying my best to just throw love onto her but she's she just calms down when my wife is breastfeeding I try and give the bottle 
she won't have it. I remember the first time, I think it was like two, a month and a half in, my wife went out for her birthday. I booked like a massage, getting nails did. So it meant I had half a day of just daycare, daddy daycare. And I was like, I was broken by the end of it. <laughs> have you both watched Creed 2? Creed 2? Yeah. Rocky. Oh, Creed 2. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah Michael yeah, yeah. B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a scene in it when his wife goes to the studio and he ends up like not being able to calm down the crying baby and he has to go to the gym to box then the yeah. baby calms down yeah that was that was so real and i could only be written by a dad and that's how i felt <laughs> yeah. i tried everything i even put on my wife's bra wow and wow held held the bottle because I, I thought the scent could help and it, it did help <laughs> wow it does it get easier or does it i mean it's been changes too- yeah it, it's it got so much easier once they come out of that phase and they have more of a bond to you. She's pretty much, I'd say, and I think my wife would say this is not true, but I'd say she's a bit of a daddy's girl. Um, yeah, that was the main change. Like you, you understand what your parents must feel. Like as soon as that happened, I was like, this is what my parents feel like when I slammed the door shut and locked my bedroom yeah. when I was a kid or when I fall out with them at this age and I don't want to talk to them. Yeah. That's just that, how they like feel. A, you know when you said kind of she started to be a, a bit of a, a daddy's girl. Was that like a, was that a slow transition? Was there a moment when you're like, okay, right now we've got a real connection here? Yeah, I think I um, we took the four months paternity leave. I split it two and two. The second two months, we went to Asia, um, Philippines for a month, and then Singapore for a bit. And in that time, it was just me being there, and I was actually carrying her in the carrier for most of that two months. And she just developed a closer bond with me because I was there all the time instead of being at work. And I guess being present is key. And that's actually yeah. a bigger shift that happened was I didn't want to be in the office. Like I, yeah. Going back to work after paternity leave was hard. And I pretty much changed the way I work to be in the office early and leave early so I can be home to be a present dad. And I it blows my mind a lot because I think especially coming from an agency culture, you never see people leave early, especially the parents. I was like, what? I could not imagine not being here for like a dinner time or picking her up from nursery or even putting her to sleep. Like those are essential parts. And I think fatherhood's changed for our generation where we are so active at home and it's 50-50 split in the house. It's not the wife does everything. Yeah. And the dad just comes home and plays with the kid for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It is 50-50 split. And I, I've heard comments from my people in my family like, oh, you changed nappies. I'm like, of course I changed nappies. Did you not change nappies? <laughs> and that's uh, people from my parents' generation, some of the men didn't change nappies. And Did, was, that, was that part of what encouraged you to create Deft then? Was that some of like the, the inspiration between kind of getting on your own time, being able to work flexibly how you want? A bit of love, it. I'd love to know a little bit more about that yeah. as well. Yeah, so I, I guess moving to the final transition was being at Facebook for five years. I think it's a very hard company to leave. Anthony, I don't know if you yeah, agree a- there. Like they give you every perk under the sun and you're really well paid. Um, I, though I'd say when you come to a company that grows so big, there's so many other frustrations and you're almost always connected to work, even though you have the freedom to disconnect. I just found myself not learning anything anymore. 
and I wasn't as excited as my about my job the way I was in 2016, 17, 18, where I was learning new things all the time. After a while, it just felt like another campaign. Yeah. And with Deft, the opportunity was to step out and help people within the direct consumer world, especially founder-led startups and scale-ups. Um, think the next set of Gymsharks of this world, helping them unlock the unlock scale through creativity and media. And that's what we do. Um, and that was an interesting proposition. And it was hard, really tough decision to make in the middle of a pandemic and a recession to step out. Yeah. But I knew it, I, I would regret it if I didn't do it. What, and also, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to ask, um, what was the, like, is this something you've been thinking about for a long time? Because I know you started it with, with Ian, um, another one of our ex-colleagues and stuff. Like, had you guys been talking about this for a while? Was it like a lightning bolt of inspiration in February of this year? Like, how did it all come about? No, like he he left and started it and pretty much in stealth mode in May. Um, and I guess I think he would probably say the same, that he wanted to do something new and learn new things. And I, at the start of this year, didn't even foresee that I would be leaving Facebook, yeah. especially in the middle of a recession and a pandemic. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's madness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, explaining that to my wife that I was going to leave to become a founder and start something new in the middle of a recession. Yeah. Uh, it was a tough one, but she understood. Like, again, creatively, I was a bit frustrated and I wanted to learn new things. Yeah. And now two months in, I don't regret it one bit. I've learned so much more in two months than I probably would have staying there. Um, and also one of my friends, she said to me, like, what's the worst that can truly happen is, A, you go and do this thing and it fails, but you've learned so much more about yourself and gain new skills and network. And you can always go back into a corporate job. Okay, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. Because my real plan was actually to move to Singapore next year. Um, But with a pandemic and very little family time for my daughter, she's not really seen her grandparents as much this year. It sort of feels unfair to move halfway across the world when parents are getting older, there's this disease killing people. It doesn't feel right to be locked up in a country away from family. And what what's the vision then for uh, Deft in like let's say the next? It, I don't know if you have like a like a predetermined strategy for the next few years, or is it um, still open ended? Figuring that stuff out because I know it's, it's only been a couple of months. But um, how how is this sort of transition time that we're all going through like maybe think about what the future might hold? I think um, the e-commerce space has been super interesting for us because a e-commerce has boomed so much this year as a i mean it was naturally happening yeah. but covid has accelerated by six years i think yeah. um, i mean we saw why my top shop recently they've been they've been bankrupt yeah. but it's all things that were happening slowly in the background if you look at google search trends top shop was dying for the last five six years yeah. the likes of boohoo asos pretty little thing um they just understand culture better and they're marrying culture and commerce. And that's where we want to play this intersection of culture and commerce and looking at what trends are happening next, especially around live commerce and where we can potentially build product to improve creative on e-commerce platforms and Facebook, Instagram. Um, The long-term goal, I think we're still defining that things change a lot. Um, We're still quite early in our journey 
And I, I know another thing that um, you've done recently, and we could talk about for first a little bit, is you've, you've released a book recently, is that right? Yeah, I yeah. keep forgetting that happened. <laughs> <laughs> could, could, you, could you tell us about that? Like, like would that happen, I, I forget the details, but that happened this year? And like, what was the, what's the story behind that? What's it about? How did you come about it? Yeah, so it happened in January. I got an email from an old contact of mine that I met while I was doing it in Yang. She was actually writing for another website back then. And we happened to be at this Adidas football event in London. And we were both covering it for our respective sites. And there was a guy called Levi Maestro, who is well known in the street streetwear scene. He would do a lot of vlogs early on. He did like the first vlog from the Nike campus. He skated in Yeezys, the first Yeezys. And everyone was like, this dude is crazy. He's just skating in Yeezys. Um, and he was doing a London meetup. So we both were there, met up with him, met each other. Lamara, uh, 10 years later, is now the commissioning editor for Murky. Murky is Stormzy's imprint with Penguin. The reason Murky exists is Penguin reached out to Stormzy when he was 24, asking if we'd do a biography. He was like, I'm 24, it makes no sense. He asked for an imprint um, label. So that's murky because he wanted to celebrate and hear underrepresented voices to become authors for those audiences. Um, so when she told me that she, they're doing a how-to series and they wanted to do one on building brands, she reached out to me because she saw my career path and what I've done in the past. And I was like, uh, this sounds dope, but I'm not a writer. <laughs> the only thing I've really read is blog posts. And I would never say writing is my strength, but I just enjoyed sharing my voice and opinion. Um, so I said to her, look, I'll do it, but I want to do it with a friend because for me, projects are always way better when you can collaborate with a friend like you guys are doing. Um, so I hit up Damola, who was a strategy, strategy director at BBH at that point. And I was like, I texted him and I think it was in January. I was like, yo, dude, you got time for a five minute call today? He's like, yeah, it's about a project with Murky. And that's all I said. And then I called him and he was like, I'm down. <laughs> and I, I guess for, for a lot of my career, as you've heard, side projects have played a huge part in it. The hard thing for me, I don't know, Anthony, if you can relate to this, was when you're at a company like Facebook, you don't really have time for side yeah. projects because A, you're multi-regions you're in different time zone you're traveling a lot and at the end of the day you just want to switch off because work is intense yeah. and when this came up i was like yo i haven't had a side project i want to do this it sounds like a fun thing that i've not done before and it's a challenge yeah so in february we met up with lamara did a little plan did another video call before when things completely changed and the world went into lockdown yeah. and we started writing the book on March 6th. It's called How to Build It around building brands. Well, from a business perspective, I also talk about personal brand and networking, which I think is also vital. Um, so I started writing on March 6th and finished writing March, I think like 31st. That's we had to hand in the first. It's about a two week turnaround. Yeah, it's, it's a small book. It's, it's, they okay. tried to make it mini books. Yeah, around 10,000 words, but still 10,000 words in my head is like, that's yeah. thesis. Yeah. Um, so we did that and then he goes into edit rounds and edit rounds is really like going back to school, a teacher getting a red pen and going yeah. like crossing out. Like yeah. yeah. And it was painful and it's all done on word. A, I haven't used Microsoft word in like 
God knows how long. I felt like I was back in six, uh, secondary school. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was an interesting process. I learned a lot. It was tough because we were doing it outside of our day jobs. Yeah. So he actually quit BBH at the end of February, a month off. And then he joined Facebook on my oh. team or my wider team as a creative strategist. Um, and so the lucky thing for us was the pandemic happened and work sort of slowed down in March. Mm -hmm. like everyone was still trying to figure out how we work. So I had so much more flexibility during the day and working from home. I got to write the book. Otherwise, I don't think I would have met the deadline. Yeah. Um, so the book came out in October and it was wild. Like even saying I'm an author now, I can't believe that I'm an author that has books and Waterstones and Amazon and all these other shops. Um, the, sh the bummer is we haven't been able to do like events and stuff because of COVID. Couldn't do a launch party with Stormzy. That has to wait till 2021. Uh, but I mean, surely get a virtual one with him going, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully in 2020. I'd rather do it in person. Hopefully it's mansion or something. <laughs> we're, we're all invited, right? Because that sounds like yes. a video. Okay, amazing. Yeah. And, and so where do, people, where do people find that? Uh, just how to build it? It's on, I'd say, Waterstones, book, any local bookshop. It's also on Jeff Bezos's website, amazon.co.uk. Okay. But let's try and support oh, the local Jeff business. Jeff Bezos endorsed. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> let's support the local business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's really awesome. How did you find the, the process of writing that? I mean, you said it was obviously you, you had some time, but co-authoring with someone, or like, what was that like? And how did you kind of agree on which ideas you guys thought were uh, important together? So we actually mapped it out in February, we, we met up a few times after work and just started doing like loads of bullet points of things that we think could go into the book. And over time, calling Lamara and emailing us structures, we'd like narrow it down to X amount of bullet points per chapter. And then we just split the sections of each chapter up to who takes what. Yeah. Um, and that's just how it worked. And I guess we spent a lot of time on video calls and audio calls during that process, just reviewing each other's chapters and seeing if the flow worked and naturally things will change and evolve um, and then rewrites or moving chunks of the book around because of after written like oh no this flow doesn't work yeah. i love that. that i mean it's gonna play you're talking about personal brand but you're also building it by doing that so you'd hope that uh you know as a result of this if you're doing the agency at deft uh agency slash consultancy um you know you guys are going to be getting hit up straight from the book I hope so. I, th yeah. I think it's a def it's definitely helped. Um, yeah, I def I probably should promote it a bit more than I do because it just feels weird to promote something. So like, yeah. it's, I don't know. I'm not one of those influencer type people that like, hey guys, have you read my book today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope after um, the hundreds of millions of listeners of our podcast like hear about this, then maybe you'll get hundred million sales <laughs> the the bump from the what neck podcast so um if, if people want to find you um where else should they find you near and like instagram twitter I and mean, it sounds like all those platforms played a big role in your professional career yeah, as well so i definitely say instagram is probably my first platform okay. instagram.com forward slash niran twitter dot uh, com forward slash niran vinod unfortunately i don't have my first name on there i had it all like in sync before but then after three years at IG, I basically put in a request to get my first name. Yeah. And the global head of policy had to approve it and I got it. 
Nice. I made the lamest excuse. Sorry if you're listening to this. It's basically, basically you said my name. My name is way too complicated. Yeah. Um, when I'm speaking on stage, so can I get just my first name? Because so then people can follow me and clients can reach out to me. Business case. Worked. Yeah. Worked. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, do you have any final words or things you want uh, to share in terms of the audience? Like I know life advice or. Final reflections as we as we close on. Thank you for everything. I have a motto that I've shared quite a bit, especially when it comes to career, but I think it also applies to personal life. If you don't ask, you don't get. A lot of my career has been on reaching out to random people, sometimes cold emailing or cold LinkedIn messages or Twitter DMs. And a lot of that, a, a, it builds up your resiliency to rejection because a lot of time people don't reply. But if that one person does reply, it could change your life. And for me, that happened in several instances from people that I interviewed for my thesis to getting that internship at We Are Social. And also sort of, I met my wife in person at UAL, but we only started talking because of Twitter. Really? And nice. again, it was a gossip girl thing. She tweeted XO, <laughs> she tweeted XOXO. And I was like, wait, is that from gossip girl question mark? And that just got us tweeting and talking to each other. <laughs> so good. Well, we've we've uh, we've recently cold emailed Ryan Reynolds trying to get him on the podcast. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> fingers crossed on that as, one. Man. As you replied, uh, we're well, going yeah, out of I office. Mean, but... connection. <laughs> you never we're, know. Well, we're gonna like cold emailing is a big part of our strategy now. So like Ryan Reynolds is there. We're, I I also cold emailed Virgil Abloh the other day. So let's just see how how these things go. But I, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we actually me and me and him share the same birthday. Oh really? <laughs> Well, we we'll you, use that in our follow up. <laughs> we 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 um you might enjoy another uh, episode that we did with this guy, Connor Blakely, who's like a very young Gen Z consultant, and he basically said he built a network by just sending hundreds of cold emails a day for like three years straight, and now he's like consulted with like the CEO of Sprint, lots of different companies, and it's just just hearing you talk about it as well. To me, it feels like one of the most underrated marketing outreach, business development, personal. Uh, yeah development things to do in the world is just reaching out cold i feel like at least for me i was always discouraged from doing that because people were always telling me like oh don't do that you should do like warm intro people are busy exactly. Yeah. exactly and i i actually found this tim ferris thing on his blog from years ago and he says on how to sign off on emails yeah and he just says look i totally understand if you're busy it's completely okay if you don't have time to reply and so ending on that kind of note very yeah. sincere you generally always get a reply yeah yeah so you're basically saying you're basically yeah you're hands off you're not asking too much but you're yeah. you're kind of asking for a lot <laughs> yeah and even if it's just 15 minutes all your call that's all yeah. you want yeah that's a good point well um niran thanks so much for taking the time man uh really no, appreciate welcome it.